And uh, he looked at the causes of fear and how God's love can overcome that. He looked at 1 John chapter 4. Perfect love casts out fear. There is a healthy fear, though. If the man who was driving this car had had more healthy fear, he would not have been driving much too fast in a car he'd bought only two days previously whilst eating a sandwich. He did live, but it took them three hours to cut him out of this, and I don't suppose he's ever going to drive that car again. Some fears are healthy, and today I want to think about having a healthy fear of God and the impact that that can have on our other fears. And I've got two very able helpers, uh, Helen and Chloe, are going to come and help me. Uh, We've got two buckets here, and one's got the fear of God written on the front of it, and and this this one's... One's got the fear of other things. So Helen's going to take out uh, something from her mystery bucket, mystery bag, and tell us what it is that we might be afraid of. What people think. And then we actually want the fear of God to weigh more, or to be more. Um, So thank you, Chloe. If you could just weigh down the fear of God for us. Thank you. People finding out what I'm really like. So many of us have a mask. We don't want people to know. If we knew what God thought about us, if our fear of God was more, we wouldn't care so much. Sickness. We often call this worry or anxiety. We're worried about things. Bullying. Afraid of the bullies, but God asks us to stand up for those who are oppressed. Our fear of him needs to be more. Failure. So often fear of failure means we don't try to do anything. Your children. Not being afraid of your children. I just couldn't. We're afraid for our children, aren't we, sometimes? We worry about what might happen to them. Losing control. Sometimes we worry if we start to let things out, we'll lose control and we'll never get it back. But God is sovereign. He's in control. Being unpopular. We often do things to please other people and not God because we're afraid of being unpopular. Punishment. We lie and cheat to get out of doing things that we know we've done wrong. God's answer is to repent. Rejection. When we think that other people will reject us, we need to know that God has accepted us. Being poor. So many people feel they've got to work long hours, work weekends, so that they don't lose their jobs. They worry about being able to meet their bills. But God 
is Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides. Losing my job. God will provide. Last one. <laughs> spiders. <laughs> if you were afraid of spiders, there might be a room of spiders. And if there was an axe man chasing you, you still might run through the spiders. Let's really weigh down the fear of God a bit more, shall we, Chloe? So that there's no doubt about whose fear we've got most of. Thank you. Thank you very much. So uh, at this point, I think Lighthouse are going to go. Thank you for staying in. Thank you for being so good. These, um, I did put these in the life group notes, so you don't have to write them all down. <coughs> Bye-bye. So I want to read something. From, I'm not going to read it from the very tattered copy of my book. Uh, Sarah says she's got lots of copies um, because her, it's very important in her family, Sarah Paris. This is my childhood copy, and it's fallen apart. C.S. Lewis wrote The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, an allegory in which Aslan represents Christ. And this is an extract. Uh, The four children have had tea with Mr. and Mrs. Beaver. And they're asking about Aslan. Mr. Tumnus has been turned to stone by the White Queen. Will Aslan come and save Mr. Tumnus? Who is Aslan? asked Susan. Aslan? said Mr. Beaver. Why don't you know? He's the king. He's the lord of the whole wood. But not often here, you understand. Never in my time or in my father's time. But the word has reached us that he has come back. He's in Narnia at this moment. He'll settle the white queen, all right. It is he, not you, that will save Mr. Tumnus. She won't turn him into stone too, said Edmund. Lord love you, son of Adam, what a sinful thing to say, answered Mr. Beaver with a great laugh. Turn him into stone. If she can stand on her two feet and look him in the face, it'll be the most she can do, and more than I expect of her. No, he'll put her all to rights. Is is he a man? asked Lucy. Aslan a man? said Mr. Beaver sternly. Certainly not. I tell you, he is the king of the wood and the son of the greater emperor beyond the sea. Don't you know who is the king of the beasts? Aslan is a lion, the lion, the great lion. Oh, said Susan, I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. That you will, dearie, and no mistake, said Mrs. Beaver. If there's anyone who can appear before Aslan without their knees knocking, they're either braver than most or else just silly. Then he isn't safe, said Lucy. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Don't you hear what Mrs. Beaver tells you? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. Who is God? That's what we need to know. We need to understand him more. Christians used to be called... God-fearing. And we used to say things like, that'll put the fear of God into them. 
We don't use those terms uh, anymore. We tend to focus today on God as being loving, merciful, forgiving, being our provider, our fortress, our protector, our healer, our loving father. And he is all of those things. But he is just as much holy, just, judge, righteous, sovereign. Once you read a verse from Isaiah, uh, from chapter 6, the seraphim were calling out to each other, Love, love, love is the Lord of heaven's armies. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Did anyone spot the mistake there? What did the seraphim say? Holy, holy, holy. God is not called the Lord, the loving one of Israel, but the Lord, the holy one of Israel. This God that we worship, this God who is loving, who is good, who cares about us, is holy, is righteous. The Bible says, who can stand in the presence of the Lord? The God that we worship is awesome, and he is far bigger than anything or anyone. In Isaiah 40, we read, who else has held the oceans in his hand? How big would his hand have to be to hold the oceans? Who has measured off the heavens with his fingers? Who else knows the weight of the earth or has weighed the mountains and hills on a scale? He's a great and a mighty God. He's not someone to be brought out just when we're in trouble, but someone to be obeyed, someone to be in awe of. Back in Deuteronomy, God's people are told, Now Israel, what does the Lord Lord your God require of you? He requires only that you fear the Lord your God and live in a way that pleases him and love him and serve him with all your heart and soul. Fear is a part of a relationship with God. And I want to explain a bit more about how that will work out as we go through. But there are events in the Bible where God acted in judgment and where people were physically afraid of him. Um, One example is the Egyptian army in the Red Sea. Uh, When Pharaoh wouldn't let God's people go, God sent plagues. He even killed their oldest sons. And When the Israelites did eventually go, the army chased them into the sea and they were drowned by the power of God. And Exodus tells us when the people of Israel saw the mighty power that the Lord had unleashed against the Egyptians, they were filled with awe before him. And they put their faith in the Lord and in his servant Moses. Another story from the Old Testament, when Joshua and God's people went up against Jericho, uh, they were told... Don't take any of the things set apart for destruction, or you yourselves will be completely destroyed, and you will bring trouble on the camp. So everything made from silver, gold, bronze, or iron is sacred to the Lord and must be brought into the treasury. But Achan ignored those instructions and stole some of the treasure. And although Jericho was conquered that day, later on the people of Israel went up against Ai, And they were defeated. No one quite knew why, because God had been with them so much. But Joshua eventually found out what Achan had done. And as a result, Achan and his whole family were put to death. 
God's people needed to learn that God's instructions were to be obeyed. There are not so many fearful events in the New Testament, but about the time Jesus was born, there were lots of angels appearing. And every time you hear of an angel appearing, people were scared, and the angels had to say, don't be afraid. They're just awesome. The shepherds were terrified, and the angel reassured them, don't be afraid. I bring you good news. And even in the New Testament, God kills people. Ananias and Sapphira, who were doing a good thing, sold a field and brought some money to the apostles. But they lied. They said, we've brought everything. And God couldn't have that as the church was beginning. And so both Ananias and later Sapphira died. And Acts 5 tells us great fear gripped the entire church and everyone else who heard what had happened. It probably wouldn't have been easy to get people to come and join the church that day. So what is a healthy fear of God? It's not the same as being afraid of him. Proverbs tells us some things about the fear of God. The fear of the Lord is the foundation of true knowledge, says in Proverbs. And then later on, the fear of the Lord is the foundation of wisdom. This fear of the Lord is a foundation for our lives of knowledge and of wisdom. And it involves awe and trust and faith, as well as an acknowledgement that he is to be obeyed. I came across uh, a story in 1 Samuel, um, which I want to abbreviate and tell you some bits of, which just illustrate this healthy fear of God. Saul was the first king of Israel, and initially he demonstrated a healthy fear of God. He had lots of uh, warriors. Uh, He mobilized an army of over 300,000, and he liberated the people of Jabesh Gilead. And after this victory, Samuel, who was the last of the judges, said to him, be sure to fear the Lord and faithfully serve him. Think of all the wonderful things he's done for you. But if you continue to sin, you and your king will be swept away. He said that to the whole of Israel. Later, the Philistines came up against them, and they had a mighty army, 3,000 chariots, 6,000 charioteers, and as many warriors as the grains of sand on the seashore, the Bible tells us. And Saul's men were trembling with fear. Samuel had told Saul to wait seven days for him to come to bring some guidance, to uh, say what God wanted to do about this. But as Saul waited for Samuel, the army gradually disappeared. The men were so afraid, they went back to their homes. And so Saul took matters into his own hands, and he sacrificed to the Lord, a task which should have been left to Samuel. And when Samuel eventually arrived and challenged Saul, Saul tried to justify his actions. But in reality, what had happened was that Saul's fear of the Philistines was greater than his fear of God. By the time Samuel left Saul, he'd only got 600 warriors left. Well, while Saul and his army were safe in their camp, Jonathan, Saul's son, and Jonathan's armor-bearer went out to see what they could achieve, just the two of them. Jonathan said to his armor-bearer, perhaps the Lord will help us. He said, for nothing can hinder the Lord. 
He can win a battle whether he has many warriors or only a few. And between the two of them, they killed 20 Philistines and created panic in the camp. And then when the camp was in panic, God sent an earthquake. And then Saul joined in and the whole army of the Philistines was defeated that day. And they were defeated because Jonathan's fear of the Lord was greater than his fear of the Philistines. In the New Testament, Jesus told the story about talents. There were a few of these, but this particular one, he told to illustrate the kingdom of God, but it also illustrates a little about having a healthy fear of God. So a man gave his servants money to look after while he went on a trip. He gave five bags of silver to one, two bags of silver to another, and to the third, just one, he gave according to their ability. So the servant who received the five bags invested it, and he got five more. And the servant with the two bags also invested it and got two more. But the servant with just one bag of silver hid it, he buried it, in case he lost it. So in the end, the master returned back, and he was pleased with the first two servants. But the third said, Master, I knew you were a harsh man, harvesting crops you didn't plant, and gathering crops you didn't sow. I was afraid, I was afraid I would lose your money, so I hid it in the earth. Look, here's your money back. Well, the master wasn't happy, and replied, you wicked and lazy servant. If you knew I harvested crops I didn't plant and gathered crops I didn't grow, why didn't you at least deposit my money at the bank, and then at least I would have got interest? Fear of failure had stopped that servant from doing anything worthwhile with the money. But our fear of God should spur us on and help us to to do what God calls us to do. So how can we live with a healthy fear of God? We can get a clue from something that happened in the New Testament. And uh, um, Emma brought this to my attention earlier this week. And then uh, also uh, Philip spoke about it at the Lent meetings and he spoke so well. I'm a bit nervous about recounting this story. But it's about a time when Jesus had had a busy day and as evening came, he said to his disciples, let's go to the other side of the lake. So they took Jesus in the boat and started out, leaving the crowds behind. But soon a fierce storm came up High waves were breaking into the boat, and it began to fill with water. And Jesus was asleep at the back of the boat, with his head on a cushion. And the disciples woke him up, shouting, Teacher, don't you care that we drown? These disciples were all seasoned fishermen, but they were afraid. And they woke Jesus up, thinking he might rescue them. And when Jesus woke, he rebuked the wind and said to the water, Silence, be still. And suddenly the wind stopped, and there was a great calm. And he asked them, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? If you were one of the disciples, I don't know whether you can remember what the reaction of the disciples was, but they weren't pleased. The Bible says they were absolutely terrified. Who is this man, they asked each other, that even the wind and the waves obey him? That is a healthy fear of God. 
knowing and understanding God, knowing his power. Knowing God is the key to living with a healthy fear of God. And we can get to know God in many ways, through reading his word, through his spirit speaking to us, by encountering him in an experience like the disciples did out on the sea, through prayer, through worship. Doing these things will encourage us to have an attitude of reverence, honor, and adoration for God. And we will develop a healthy fear of God. So what are the characteristics of a life lived with a healthy fear of God? Well, the first one I want to say is reverence. In 1 Peter, we read, We must live as God's obedient children, not slipping back into our old ways of living to satisfy our own desires. We must be holy in everything we do. For God is holy. God will judge or reward us according to what we do. Just like the parable of the talents. So we must live in reverent fear of him here on earth. Reverence. Second characteristic would be awe. Back at the beginning of the Old Testament, Jacob was asleep one night and he had a dream. And in the dream, there was a stairway with angels going up and down to heaven. And during this, God promised to give him the land where he was sleeping. And when Jacob woke up, he said, Surely the Lord is in this place. And I wasn't even aware of it. But he was also afraid and said, What an awesome place this is. It is none other than the house of God, the very gateway to heaven. Or at the transfiguration, Matthew tells us that's when the three disciples that Jesus had taken saw what happened and they heard God speak. They were terrified and fell face down on the ground. Encountering God gives rise to awe. Then we've mentioned already holiness. Moses uh, said in Exodus 20, Don't be afraid, for God has come in this way to test you, and so that your fear of him will keep you from sinning. Giving God his correct weight. Giving God his... We can't really give him his correct weight because we can't understand it. But understanding that he is great and awesome and holy, understanding that will keep us from sinning. And then service. Another story about the water and the lake. The disciples had been fishing all night and caught nothing. And then they saw Jesus on the shore. And he said to them, let your nets down again. And they were very doubtful, but they did, as Jesus said. And the nets were so full with fish, they began to tear. And when Peter realized what had happened, he fell to his knees before Jesus and said, Lord, please leave me. I'm too much of a sinner to be around you. For he was awestruck by the number of fish they had caught, as were the others with him. Jesus replied, don't be afraid. From now on, you'll be fishing for people. And as soon as they landed, they left everything and followed Jesus. They left their lives as they knew them. Some of them even gave their lives up. They died in service to Jesus. 
Fearing God leads to service. And then trust in times of trouble. Psalm 46 says, God is our refuge and strength, always ready to help in times of trouble. So we will not fear when earthquakes come and the mountains crumble into the sea, when everything around us is falling apart. When some of these things that we've put into the bucket happen in our lives, we will not fear those things if we have a healthy fear of God. And then the, the last one I want to mention is trust in times of persecution. Jesus said these words. Don't be afraid of those who want to kill your body. They cannot touch your soul. Fear only God, who can destroy both body and soul in hell. When people want to persecute you, the one to be afraid of is not the people, but our God. He has all the power. And if he wants to release you from the persecution, he will do that. But if not, then count it a joy to suffer for his sake. Finally, I just want to say that having a healthy fear of God will lead to not having a fear of man. Lots of these things in the bucket were about being afraid of people finding out, people not liking us. I was reading this morning that stress is just another way of saying fear. If we allow God to order our lives, we will have no fear of man because we worship a great God. He is incomparably great. When we compare God to our situations and our problems, we will never find him wanting. He is bigger than anything that will come to us. We do not need to fear the situations, only him. I want to read a little bit from Isaiah 40, just to bring this part of the service to an end. How can you say the Lord does not see your troubles? How can you say God ignores your rights? Have you never heard? Have you never understood? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of all the earth. He never grows weak or weary. No one can measure the depths of his understanding. He gives power to the weak and strength to the powerless. Even youths will become weak and tired and young men will fall in, fail in exhaustion. But those who trust in the Lord will find new strength. They will soar high on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. Living our lives with a healthy fear of God will put all other fears in the correct perspective. His love never fails. We can always trust him. We're going to be going into communion in a moment. And one of the things that Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 11 is anyone who eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord unworthily is guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. That is why you should examine yourself before eating the bread and drinking the cup.
So I want to ask you to examine yourselves this morning. Maybe we could stand and uh, I might prompt you with some things. God's way of dealing with things is for us to repent and to say we don't want to do that anymore. And maybe we've just taken God's commands lightly. Maybe we thought it doesn't really matter. Maybe we've just ignored God's promptings. He said, I want you to go and visit someone or I want you to pray for someone. And we've ignored that because it's inconvenient or we're afraid of what someone might say. Maybe we haven't trusted God for all our needs. Maybe we've allowed our things, our fear of things and people to be greater than our fear of God. Maybe we haven't bothered to get to know this mighty God. Maybe there's a sin in our lives that we just keep on with because we think God will never do anything about it. It doesn't matter. Or maybe you just want to know more of this great God. Let's just stand in silence for a while and allow God's Holy Spirit to speak to us. Father God, we thank you that where we have failed you, there is forgiveness. There is restoration. You're not a God who holds bitterness, but you welcome us back. And so where we feel we've failed you today, just ask that you will draw us back into your loving arms. Where we're aware that we don't know you as we want to. Lord, may we encounter you. May we have an experience like the disciples did on the sea and see you in some way as you really are. Help us to develop a healthy fear of you and to serve you. Amen.